The sermon text for today is going to be Psalm 47, and the New Testament reading is going to come from Revelation 19, 11 through 16, if you'd like to find your way there so that you can follow along in your Bibles as well if you're able. Psalm 47, Old Testament text, and Revelation 19, 11 through 16, New Testament text. Let us now give our undivided attention to the reading of God's most holy word as we begin today. We'll begin with Revelations 19, 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, and this, of course, referring to Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. Let us now turn our attention to the reading of Psalm 47, which will also be our sermon text for today. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy, for the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you again on your day, Father, may our hearts be humbled. May our minds be open, Lord, to receive your word, Father. But I pray specifically, Father, more than our reception of your word, Lord, that you would be well pleased with the reception of our praise. Help us to be mindful, Lord, of that which we are engaging in, Lord. Please bless the words that are about to be preached to your people, Father. May they be encouraged, Lord, for the sake of your glory. It's in the name of Christ and Christ alone that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Last week, church, the sermon was on Psalm 46. And if you remember, Psalm 46 was one of uh, Martin Luther's favorite psalms. It was a psalm that he would often turn to when he was in times of trouble or distress. The title of last week's sermon was, God is our fortress. As Psalm 46 displayed how God is our, quote, refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. And it displayed how God is intimately involved in the lives of his people. Briefly recapping the theme and main points of last week's sermon, we saw that it was comprised of three main parts. 
the freedom from fear that is able to be experienced by the people of God in verses 1 through 3, the physical presence of God in the midst of his people in verses 4 through 7, and the exaltation of God that his people should express and be reminded of in light of these truths. And so as we begin the message today, it's important to both see and connect the main points of Psalm 46 with that of Psalm 47, for the two Psalms are intimately connected. In fact, Psalm 46 up to Psalm 48, these three Psalms form a trilogy of praise Psalms. There's a wondrous deliverance of Jerusalem from foreign enemies that is being celebrated in these three Psalms. And all three are connected by being designated as the Psalms of the sons of Korah. Though we're not gonna have time to look at Psalm 48, it is important that you see the connection between these three Psalms. In fact, I would encourage you to read Psalm 48 sometime today after this sermon. Better yet, I actually would encourage you to go back and read through all three of these Psalms to see the interconnectedness between the three of them. It would be encouraging, I think, to you, and I think it would be enlightening for you to read them together as a unit um, on the Lord's Day to go back and to see how, how all three of them really come together. But as we take our time to look specifically at Psalm 47 today, we see that Psalm 47 really acts as a response to the words that were listed in Psalm 46. Psalm 46, as it functioned as a statement, Psalm 47 then functions as the response to the statement of Psalm 46. And so if I were to break down the combined structure of Psalm 46 and 47 combined together, the general flow of the two of them would look something like this. God is our protection, Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3. God is with his people, Psalm 46, verses 4 through 7. God will be exalted throughout all the earth, Psalm 46, verses 8 through 11. Therefore, God should be praised, for he is the king, Psalm 47, verses 1 through 4. The Lord reigns over all of his creation, Psalm 47, verses 5 through 8. And thus, God reigns in the earth now, and God reigns from heaven for all eternity. Psalm 47, 9. You see, church, last week in Psalm 46, we learned about the reality of God's presence amongst his people, that he is with his people, and that he protects his people, and that he is in control of all nations and times and circumstances. In fact, he is in control of all of creation. And so this week, as we consider Psalm 47, we will focus more on how the people of God should respond in light of the truths that were found in Psalm 46. Where Psalm 46 focused more on the application of God's reign and presence with his people, Psalm 47 then focuses more on God's heavenly and eternal throne viewing God in the splendor of his majesty from his throne in heaven. Psalm 46 gave the physical perspective, where Psalm 47 now will give the heavenly and eternal perspective of God's reign. And we see that in the very first verse of Psalm 47, the words, clap your hands, all peoples, shout to God with loud songs of joy are stated. Because, brothers and sisters, it's not enough to just know that God reigns and is in control of our lives. It's not sufficient in our Christian faith to just come to a place in God of general understanding 
and not move beyond the fundamental teachings of who he is. For when we come to understand the great doctrines and theologies of God's word pertaining to who he is, as we come to understand and comprehend the realities of God, both in his creation and on his throne in heaven, there should be a response by his people. And that response should be a life of worship toward our creating, sustaining, and loving God. Church, if I were to ask you why we gathered each week on the Lord's Day, what would your response be? And I don't mean it just as a cliche, quick thought. I mean, what would your sincere, deeply believed response really be? If you were really to think about and dwell on that question, why do we come and gather on the Lord's Day? Would your response perhaps be that we gather together because God's word says that we should? For that would be true. God's word certainly commands us to gather and to worship on the Lord's day. Or perhaps your response would be because we need to hear his word. And we, his people, need to feast on the meat of his word weekly. Because without hearing the preached word weekly, our souls are not nourished. This response is also very true. We certainly need to hear the word of our Lord weekly, if not daily. And don't get me wrong, both of these answers would be fine answers. And both would be biblical. Both would be correct. But I think that psalms such as this one point us to a deeper understanding and connection to the person and worship of God. For how many of us would answer this question of why we gather each week on the Lord's Day by stating the following? We gather each week... Because He is the all-powerful, all-sustaining, all-knowing, loving, saving God of the universe who deserves all of our praise to the glory of His most holy name. Because I think, brothers and sisters, this is the type of answer that Psalm 47 calls us to in regards of our worship of God. When we gather to praise God and worship on the Lord's Day, It is important that we are reminded that we worship God first and foremost for who He is. Coming to worship on the Lord's Day is such an encouraging and enjoyable time. It's encouraging for me, and I would assume, brothers and sisters, that it's encouraging for you. It's it's, it's uplifting. It's, uh, It's fun. It's energetic. Wouldn't you agree? We get to connect with one another, share with one another, enjoy each other's company, say some jokes, uh, uh, share some things that are happening in our life. Fellowship is a very, very sweet thing, and we all should look forward to the time that we get to have when we gather on the Lord's Day. It is a blessed time to be able to set aside our busy schedules in order to fellowship and to enjoy one another. However, we must also remember that the primary reason for gathering, in addition to the sustaining of the saints, is for the direct and commanded worship of our great God. For with how much God has blessed us us with, both individually and corporately, how else should we come to God then, if not with heartfelt praises to His most holy name? We give Him our time as we come, and our attention, our tithes, and our offerings each week because of who God is. That is why we praise Him that is why we serve him. It's because who he is and what he, has, uh, what he has done. This is why we gather each Lord's Day, even when it's difficult to do so, as it is in today's world. 
Because he is due our worship. Why do we take the time to come out here and to set up chairs in an outdoor setting and to be mildly uncomfortable? Praise the Lord, it's a little bit more comfortable with the shade this week. Why would we do that? Why do we go to the great lengths? Why is there such a debate about making sure that we uh, meet each week? It's because God deserves to be praised. And he deserves to be praised in the way that he has called us to. He deserves that worship. And so even when it's difficult, we still come and we gather week after week after week to worship his most holy name. Because what we need from God, what we need from God to hear his word and to be encouraged and to fellowship is really secondary to what he is due from us to worship him for who he is and what he has done throughout all of his creation. And so as we begin today by looking more closely at Psalm 47, I think it is fitting to be reminded of the teaching of what is arguably one of the most famous catechism questions, which states, what is the chief end of man? And the answer being, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And so with the stage set, let's now consider the background and setting of Psalm 47. Though there are differing opinions onto uh, the exact date and context of Psalm 47, most scholars agree that a central theme of this psalm revolves around the placing and ceremony of the Ark of the Covenant with Israel. Though there is likely no way to know for certain what the immediate context of the psalm was, the message of Psalm 47 is very clear. Praise God, for He is King of all the nations. Clearly, Psalm 47 is one of many accounts of which Yahweh had delivered Israel from the hands of its enemies, in which the people responded with praise and admiration of their great God. Read through the Old Testament, and what you will find is occasion after occasion in which God rescues and delivers His people from the perils of their time and from the hands of their enemies. And so the possibilities for which the events surrounding Psalm 47 could have been directly tied to are many. But irregardless of its possibilities of what its direct context was, the broader context and application remains. And fortunately, it is a very, very clear one. God is exalted as King of the earth. And the psalmist calls for the highest praise to be given to God, whose sovereignty extends worldwide and who grants the promised inheritance to all of Israel, by subjecting them to the land's pagan predecessors. Thus, the psalm foreshadows the everlasting, unopposed reign of God as king over all of the earth. Structurally, Psalm 47 can be broken down into three units. One, Yahweh's exalted position, verses 1 through 4. Two, the recent deliverance of his people, verses 5 through 7. And three, God's ultimate dominion over all of creation verses 8 through 9. And so as you can probably see, there's some great similarities between Psalm 46 and Psalm 47. For the two Psalms are separate, but they both share a very, very similar message. And with such similarities between these two Psalms, Psalm 46 and Psalm 47, you might be wondering why I would choose to preach back to back on two so closely related texts. I want to take just a second to give you three reasons of why I think it's a good idea to have these back-to-back psalms with similar messages preached today. 
Reason number one is like Psalm 46, Psalm 47 also reminds us that God is in complete control of all nations. This is a message we need to keep in our minds daily, especially when considering the world today. We need to always keep in mind that God is the one in control. It doesn't take much to turn on the news or look at something on the internet and to be distracted from the reality of God's reign over all of creation. And so hearing this message again seven days later probably isn't a bad thing anyways. It's a message we probably could hear week after week and be greatly encouraged by. Reason number two is I want you to see the connectedness between the structure and patterns of the Psalms. I think that when we read the Psalms, we we often tend to do so in a broken pattern. Uh, Often reading them individually, isolating them from the other Psalms as we read them uh, piece by piece or or one by one. But many of the Psalms are very connected. Uh, In fact, many of them follow uh, a lot of sub-patterns structurally as you go throughout the entire uh, Psalter. And so they're very connected together, following different patterns and themes. And by seeing the Psalms in this connected light, I think it should better help you understand and glean from the Psalms as you study them in the future and on your own. And thirdly is I want you to see the contrast that also exists between Psalm 46's worldly perspective and Psalm 47's heavenly perspective. Psalm 46 looks at the reign of God from an earthly perspective, from an uh, uh, earthly uh, viewing point. Uh, The author communicates how God is present with his people in Psalm 46, where Psalm 47 emphasizes the heavenly and eternal throne of God as he is portrayed as reigning from his majestic and heavenly throne. We saw a uh, similar structure as we went through the book of Revelation where we would go back and forth between these different camera angles. And Psalm 46 and 47, uh, in a sense, uh, do a very similar thing as they give us two differing perspectives uh, about where God is in his reigning of his people now and in the heavens. And so with these three reasons in mind, let's take some time to look more closely at the details of this psalm. Psalm 47 in verse 1, the psalmist calls upon his audience to clap their hands and to shout to God with loud songs of joy. When the kings of Israel were crowned, the people would often clap and shout, long live the king. It's true, people actually would shout this. It's not just uh, in the movies. And they would do this in celebration of the king's coronation. And so here we see that God is being recognized for his coronation. He is being recognized as the king of, of his people and is acknowledged as being the great king also of all the earth. Notice that the exuberance of verse 1 is then also quickly balanced by the awe in verse 2. For it is the Lord, the most high one, that is to be feared, further emphasizing God's total power over all kingdoms and realms. It's an abrupt transition from verse 1 over to verse 2, praising God for the king that he is, and then quickly saying, fear this God, above any and all else. The power of God's kingship would have immediately been recognized by the author's audience, as God had time and time again delivered his people from peril and destroyed their enemies. And as I explained last week, the people singing this psalm would have had recent events uh, that were very tangible in their minds. Psalm 46 gave a rather graphic description of God's defeating power when it described, quote, the bow of the enemy being broken the spear of their adversaries lying shattered, and the chariots of their rivals being burned to the ground. These recent triumphs by which Yahweh had once more driven out the enemies of his people proved that God was faithful 
and able to fulfill his promises. This displayed that God had subdued the people and placed nations under the feet of Israel, as stated in verse 3. Then in verse 4, the psalmist reminds the people that it is God who had chosen their heritage. God was the one who did this. No one else. God is the one who chose his elect. And verse 4 informs the reader that the victories of Psalm 46 were due to the gracious choosings of God's elected people. Side note, brothers and sisters, I do not make it a point to try and teach the doctrine of election in every one of my sermons. You may think that I do. It turns out it's actually just that prominent and prevalent in Scripture. And I think this is another section where we see that, that God is the one who chose his people in the Old Testament and in the New. It is God who decided to place man in the garden in the beginning. God is the one who called Abraham from amongst the nations. God is the one who called Moses to deliver the Israelites from Egyptian slavery. God is the one who called all of the prophets of the Old Testament. God is the one who called Saul in the midst of his persecution of the church and changed his name to Paul to follow after him. God is the one who called the nation, the entire nation of Israel, out from amongst the pagans and ungodly nations around them. And it was God, brothers and sisters, who has called you and I into his eternal kingdom. And this, this is why the psalmist creates such an emphasis on praise in Psalm 47, because it is what God has done. It's what God has done. That's why we praise his most holy name for what he has done throughout his entire creation. It is only in and through the greatness of God that deliverance, protection, and preservation are possible. It is only through God that salvation for you and I is possible. Indeed, it is only through God that anything at all is possible. And so the response is directed by the psalmist should be to praise God who is king over all the earth. Next, in verse 5, the psalmist calls on the people to celebrate Yahweh's sovereignty as the heavenly reign of God becomes more specifically highlighted. The phrase, God is gone up, in verse 5, could have a couple of different meanings. One possible interpretation is that God had returned to heaven from the victory after the returning of the ark. Carrying the ark up the hill to the temple, shouts of and trumpets may have been the outward ceremony to celebrate God's return uh, to the heavens after the Israelites reobtained the ark. This is a possible interpretation which some scholars uh, uh, allude to. Another possible interpretation, and one that is uh, probably more likely, would have been that the ancient ceremony, which was observed under the law of Moses, would utilize the sound of uh, trumpets Um, as the holy assemblies would gather together and the Old Testament prophets would then say that God had gone up, quote, unquote, from them when the music played and when the people praised his name. When this ceremony was performed in the Old Testament, it was just as if a king was making his entrance among his subjects and then presented himself to them in great splendor. And this was seen as the going up from them. This is a more likely interpretation because the psalmist wrote these words under the time of the shadowy ceremonies of the Old Testament. This ceremony would later be given much clarification in light of the New Testament coming of Christ. Paul, in Ephesians 4, 
states of Christ that he, quote, ascended up far above the heavens, Ephesians 4.10. And so again, regardless of its immediate context, the point of Psalm 47 verse 5 is also very clear to the reader, that God reigns from the high heavenly places. That was where he reigned in the time of the Psalms, and that is where Christ is seated now as we all await his physical return. The message was very clear that God has gone up. Christ has gone up from us, and it is Christ who will then come back down in the same way when he returns for his people. And so moving on to verses 6 through 7, these verses contain five separate, and just two verses that contains five separate exhortations to the reader to, quote, sing praises to Yahweh, for he is king over all the earth. Five different times in two verses, it says that, over and over and over. This was in response to the magnificent acknowledgement of the immense height and power of which God reigned over all of his creation. And then lastly, in verses 7 through 9, the psalm concludes with the final acknowledgement of God as the complete and universal king of all things. In verse 7, the phrase, sing praises with a psalm, literally meant to sing praise with wisdom or to sing it with skill. This is why other translations sometimes translate this section as saying, sing praises with understanding. For God's people are called to not merely sing for, pun, uh, for fun or personal enjoyment. It is not, it's not as a time for us to just simply get our personal gains from it, as some would believe. They are to count their words carefully and to understand that the words that they are using to praise God are the very words that are used to honor and glorify His most holy name. This would also be in line with what Paul later on taught in the New Testament as he instructs Christians uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, 15, stating that we are to sing, quote, with understanding. We are to sing with understanding. What does it mean when he says to understand? What is the context of both Psalm 47 and also in 1 Corinthians? It means that we are to understand, brothers and sisters, when we praise God that He is universally sovereign and reigns above all things from His heavenly throne. As verse 8 states, God reigns over all the nations from His heavenly throne. If you haven't picked up uh, yet, brothers and sisters, let me make it very clear that God is uh, communicating a very clear message in Psalm 47. Psalm 46 gave us a lot of comfort and a lot of reassurance uh, of our circumstance. But it then reminds us to turn that directly back to God and to say, don't forget that everything that exists, everything that you do, every nation underneath this world is underneath my hands, underneath my footstool. And, and we must praise him for that. We must count our words carefully when we praise him. We must be intentional on the Lord's day as we come to worship him. For it is the God of the universe that we come to praise each Lord's day. The first part of verse 9 then states that the princes of the people would gather as the people of God of Abraham. Those who before were aliens were now united in the adoption of the same faith with the Jews. With the Jews. And thus different nations, surrounding nations, were being gathered together into one body. This was happening already in the Old Testament. This was happening in the context of Psalm 47. And this theme continued to develop in, uh, uh, through the Old Testament as it found its culmination when the doctrine of the gospel was manifest and shown forth in Christ in the New Testament. 
For the Gentiles being grafted and incorporated into the family of Abraham had always been a part of God's sovereign plan in choosing a people for himself. God had been at work building the church from the very first day when we properly look at and understand the scriptures. Strangers and aliens from every direction were being gathered together to become the chosen people of God as God was then placing every nation on this earth underneath his footstool. A people that Christ would extend throughout all the quarters of the globe. On this account, Paul says in Ephesians 3.6, quote, that the Gentiles were made one body with the Jews, that they might be partakers of the everlasting inheritance. And so lastly, the psalm concludes in the second part of verse 9, stating that the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. This gave one final reminder that all men, all nations, all governments, all systems, were not only under God's sovereign reign, but also that God would gather people from all tongues, all tribes, all nations, to be adopted into His heavenly kingdom. And this is an amazing conclusion to this psalm. As we conclude the 47th Psalm, it speaks directly to us, the church today, reminding us that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, of Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and Paul is the God that we serve on this very day. It is no wonder the psalmist tells us so many times in this psalm that we are to sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises. What an amazing God we serve, for the God who created the heavens and the earth is the very God that we sit uh, sit underneath at this very moment to praise and to worship. And so, church, there are three points of application that I would like to present to you after looking at Psalm uh, 47 in a bit more detail. Three points of application. Point number one, as we look at Psalm 47 as a whole, is that we should continuously praise God for who He is and what He has done. We should continuously praise God for who He is and what He has done. At the core of Psalm 47 is the response that we, the people of God, are to have toward our God. God is due all the praise and glory of the entire creation. And though not everyone overtly praises God now for who He is, we do. And one day, all will. One day, all will come to bow the knee before the kingdom that we are a part of, before our King and our Lord, Christ. We know the truth of the heavenly reality that the God of the universe sits upon his heavenly throne at this very moment, ruling over all of creation. And though for a time he has allowed the evil one to work and to distort his creation for reasons only he knows, God nonetheless remains king over all creation. As our nation battles for control over who and what should be in charge, we as Christians must continuously be mindful of who is truly who is truly in charge, Christ our King. As I engage with brothers and sisters around me, I'm often very concerned that they have forgotten whom it is that they serve. They forgot who God is and what God is capable of and uh, what God calls them to do. 
I think that they know in the back of their minds that they're Christians and they're part of his kingdom. But it seems that they've forgotten that because they become so infatuated with the kingdoms of this world. God is above every one of those kingdoms, brothers and sisters, and we need to keep that in mind as our world, as our nation progresses in the direction that it, that it is. So we must praise him daily in everything that we do. We should treat others above ourselves. Why? Because God is king. We should humble ourselves before others and submit to others. Why? Because we know who we ultimately submit to. You have to understand this theme, church. I think it's very important. We do these things out of a submission to God. That's how you can submit to one another. That's how you can sacrifice yourself totally for your spouse. That's how you can give yourself up in every way for the sake of others, because you know that you ultimately do it for your king, not for uh, the people first and foremost, or or for the uh, circumstances first and foremost. We do it because we serve God, and it's an act of worship. Our praise and worship of God should permeate all aspects of our life, especially as it pertains to the praise and worship of our God on the Lord's Day. So let Psalm 47 remind you in these tumultuous times who the true king is and who is truly in charge. And may that knowledge comfort you, may it encourage you, and may it spur you on to be bold in your faith. This leads to my second point, second point of application, is that the Lord, not man, is to be feared, verses 1 through 4. The Lord, not man, is to be feared. Church scripture is very clear on this exact point, that we are to fear God ultimately and not man. This does not mean, however, that we disregard the rules or laws of man. Let me say it one more time. This does not mean, however, that we disregard the rules or laws of man. Rather, we should submit to our earthly authorities out of a submission to God. It's out of a submission to God that we do it, not a submission to man. Again, I think that brothers and sisters are often confused here that they think to listen is to submit to man. To listen to the governing authorities is to give up and submit to them. No, we do it out of a submission to God. Right? I, don't, I, I want to be careful from the pulpit, but I don't care what oftentimes governing authorities around me say. Their ideologies and, and their, their values are far from mine. I'm really not too concerned about them. And so I don't submit to them because I'm afraid of them. I don't submit to them because I'm uh, wanting to be subservient or necessarily even obedient to them. I do it out of an act of worship. And you may think, well, that sounds good, but how true is that? Well, listen to the words of Paul on this point in Romans 13, verses 1 through 2. He states, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. I would encourage you, if you want to continue to be very active on social media, just share this. People will push back, and they will have other ways of interpreting it, but I think they're missing the point of it, that we do things, we act in submission out of our obedience and worship of God, out of our obedience and worship to God. 
And just to be clear, brothers and sisters, there is a time uh, to stand against governing authorities when they stand in the way of God's people being able to obey his word. But as we look around right now, we're not hindered. Nothing is hindering us from being faithful. We're inconvenienced, and we gladly inconvenience ourselves for the sake of showing those around us that we are willing and able and gentle. Doesn't scripture say, make it a point to live a quiet and peaceful life, and that's how we are to win others into the kingdom of God? But disobeying governing authorities, though it is a reality and though there are times when it is necessary, should be a very, very last resort. For our submission to our earthly rulers is an act of worship to God. It is an act of worship to God. And it is the governing authorities that have been instituted by God. Church, like you, I for the life of me will not know in this life why we have the governor that we do. I, I, I don't know. And, and I can say that openly because there's much that I disagree with him on. I didn't vote for him. I never would vote for him. But I submit to him and I respect him and I would never speak disrespectfully of him because he was put there by God. Scripture says that God is the one who placed him there. I don't know why, but I'm not really much involved in the business of questioning why God does what he does. But I submit to it and I trust in his wisdom and his sovereignty. And I will continue to submit to it until at the very end, I can no longer submit to it and still be faithful to scripture. But as long as I can still be faithful to scripture, we make it a point to submit because God is the one who has placed these into their power. They have no power, remember the words of Christ, other than that which God has given them. And so we obey them to the best of our ability, not out of submission to them, but ultimately out of a submission to God. And so church, do not fear man during these, uh, these times, these difficult times, these concerning times. Instead, fear God. Submit to those around you because of your fear of God, not your fear of man. Fear God, the one who is able to destroy both body and soul, not just man. The one who is above any human institution, the God of this universe. Fear him. Look to serve him trust in him, rely on him, for he is the one truly in control of all things. This leads directly into my third and final point of application, that the Lord is the king over all the earth now and for all eternity. The Lord is the king over all the earth now and for all of eternity. Church, it may not look like it through our earthly perspective now, as we open our eyes and look around, it may not seem this way, but the Lord is currently seated on his throne above all nations of the earth. He sits on a throne. In fact, this is exactly what was described in the New Testament reading today. I'd encourage you to go back and to look at it again as Christ is, is described in his reigning power, especially as he comes back. If, if Christ is going to return in the way described Revelation 19, 11 through 16, that means that's his state right now. And he's ready and he's sitting at the right hand of God, waiting to return for the people of God. As Christ entered into the presence of God after his ascension into heaven, as he, as he ascended and went into the most holies of holies, what did he then do? He went and he sat down in his heavenly throne at the right hand of God. And that is where he sits at this very moment. Christ is at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning over all the nations from the heavenlies. 
until the appointed time when he will return to institute his fully consummated and eternal kingdom. Brothers and sisters, we are part of a kingdom. It's hard to understand that in our time today. We don't, we don't understand that as much as uh, they would have back in Old Testament times. But there is a kingdom that exists. Christ was very clear on this point, that he came to institute his kingdom. And that his kingdom, remember his words, his kingdom was not of this world. It was a heavenly kingdom, and that is the kingdom that is advancing forward. It is the kingdom that is visible right now. It is already here, but yet not yet fully, right? God is reigning, and he's allowing these other kingdoms to go forward until the fullness of his people has come in. And we serve. We serve a king. Our king rules and reigns over all their nations. And though these other nations rule and reign with their own appointed leaders, they do so not knowing that even their own leadership was instituted by God. We must not forget the realities of the heavenly kingdom, lest we fall prey to the deceit of our eyes. As Paul states in 2 Corinthians 5-7, we live by faith. Faith. Our, our, our spiritual lens to see the heavenly kingdom. We live by faith, not by sight. And so, Serve your king, brothers and sisters. Worship him. Worship him with your life. Be humble. Be meek. Put yourself below others for the sake of you worshiping your God and king, for he alone is due all honor, glory, power, and praise forevermore. Amen. In conclusion, I thought that it would be fitting to end today's message by reading the words of the famous hymn, How Great Thou Art. Not only does this hymn remind us of the immense greatness of God that we serve, it also reminds us that we are to pay close attention to the words that we sing when we come to worship and praise our God on the Lord's Day. It's very easy to know the tune of a song and to be familiar with it and to sing them, but I like to take the time, you've probably seen me do this in the past, to break down um, uh, other verses or uh, psalms or hymns to really take the time to listen to them as they're preached. Because when we sing them, we are singing the preached word back to God. We are singing his word back to him. And so uh, take the time to listen very carefully to the lyrics of this song. It's going to be hard to not hear the tune going through your mind as we say it. But in light of Psalm 47, try and pay close attention to these words uh, that we have sung, we'll sing in the future of this very famous hymn. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. And when I think of God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died, to take away my sin. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and lead me home, what joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow with humble adoration and then proclaim, my God, how great thou art. And then the chorus, the best part, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, 
my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Let's pray. Father, as we read those final words, that famous hymn, Lord, what an encouragement it is to know how great our God is. I pray, Lord, that you give us eyes to see, help us to see the realities of your heavenly kingdom that is advancing at great speeds, Lord, through all of this world, Lord. Sometimes we forget, sometimes we don't see it, Lord. The news most certainly does not report on how your kingdom is advancing, Lord, but we know that it is. So give us eyes to see the heavenly things, Lord, as they continue to move forward. Help us to stay steadfast in uh, your kingdom, Lord, to remember that you are our king and that we serve you first and foremost. Help us to do everything else, Lord, out of a submission to you. The way that we uh, act in our families as husbands and wives and parents, we do it out of submission to you. How we act as individuals, how we treat one another, how we do that as, as churchmen, how we respond to our governing authorities, Lord, is all an act of worship to you. All glory is due your name, Father. And so help us to be mindful of that, to remember that. Help us to have the courage, Lord, and to have the discernment uh, as we navigate the difficulties of this world today. And so bless my brothers and sisters as they go out from here today, Lord. Uh, watch them, keep them. And may they serve you wholeheartedly with all of who they are. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.